You're listening to the Hui Kala Baptist Church Podcast coming to you from the heart of Honolulu. Hui Kala is a committed family of faith that loves Jesus and loves one another. Grab your Bible and prepare for preaching from the Word of God from Pastor Anthony King. Got your Bibles handy, turn if you would to 2 Corinthians chapter number 11. Uh, we're continuing our series entitled Selfless Serving Church. Uh, and so I wanted to uh, encourage you to, uh, if you've missed any of the messages so far, you can always get caught up on our website at whoecala.org. Uh, this is message uh, 40, I believe 48 in this series. Uh, I lose track once they get past like 10. Uh, I can't count that high. I run out of fingers. Uh, but uh, I do know that this has been uh, helpful for me as I've gone through it. Uh, several, a couple of years ago, we preached through 1 Corinthians verse by verse. Now we're in 2 Corinthians going verse by verse. Uh, and so we're coming uh, down towards the end uh, of the book. Uh, we're well over halfway at this point. Uh, in the book. Uh, tonight, uh, we're going to take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter number 11. Uh, last week, we took a look at how spiritual leaders don't boast. They don't brag. They don't talk about how good they are. They don't compare themselves with other people. They don't uh, hold up other people as a standard of how good they're doing or how far they have to come. But our goal is Christ-likeness. Our goal is to be like Jesus. Uh, tonight, we find ourselves in 2 Corinthians chapter number 11, uh, verse number 1. Now, just to give you context on what we're talking about tonight, Paul had pastored the church at Corinth. Uh, he had left. There were problems. He wrote a letter. Uh, the problems didn't get fully solved, so he went back to visit. When he went back to visit the church at Corinth, the church he had pastored for about a year and a half, he came back only to find that there were false teachers in the church, uh, people that were questioning Paul's character, questioning his integrity, questioning the reason why he was doing things, teaching uh, a false uh, gospel. And so uh, Paul uh, had to combat that many times throughout the uh, Second Corinthians, especially as we get into chapter number 11, we'll find where Paul uh, directly answers his critics and the, the uh, charges that were levied against him. Uh, tonight, as we take a look at uh, verse number uh, one through six, I've entitled tonight's message, The Zero Tolerance Policy for a False Gospel. Zero tolerance policy for a false gospel. Uh, you see, sometimes when it comes to, to things in life, we give a little bit of variance. Uh, for example, if we tell our kids to make our bed and we go in there and it's halfway made, uh, we'll give them a little, cut them a little bit of slack. Uh, you know, if, if we uh, see something that's uh, on the, if you've ever bought one of like those frozen pizzas that looks like absolutely gorgeous, but you open it up out of the box and you look at it and you go, this is disgusting. Have you ever had like a TV dinner that you make that was supposed to be this beautiful uh, rendition of a home-cooked meal only to realize it looks like a big, uh, plate full of microwaved mess. Uh, the, we give a little bit of variance and we give a little bit of uh, tolerance when it comes to things like that, but there's certain things that are a hard stop for us as Christians. There's certain things that we say we cannot allow this to continue uh, because it is completely and totally opposed uh, to God's word. When it comes to a false gospel or when it comes to false teaching, uh, we have to say that we are vehemently opposed and we have a zero tolerance policy when it comes to a false gospel. Second Corinthians chapter number 11, we're gonna start in verse number one. Would to God you could bear with me a little in my folly and indeed bear with me. Uh, Paul is, is making a little bit of a joke here in verse number one. Some people had said he was crazy or that he was foolish. Uh, and he's saying, hey, if I'm foolish, just give me a little bit of grace here to be foolish. Uh, in other words, uh, Paul is saying to them, hey, if you think I'm crazy, that's okay. Just let me be crazy for a minute and hear what I have to say. Uh, verse number two, for I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear by less by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, for if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive another spirit, 
which ye have not received, or another gospel, which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. For I suppose I was not a whit behind the very chiefest apostles, but though I be rude in speech and not in knowledge, but we have been thoroughly made manifest among you in all things. I want to point you to, first of all, verse number three, where he says the simplicity that's in Christ. The gospel message is very, very simple, and many times uh, folks tend to complicate it and tend to, uh, to make it a little bit cloudy, uh, but the, the Bible tells us that there is simplicity in Christ. Here's the simplest way I know to explain this to you. We have all sinned against the holy God. We've all sinned and gone our own way. We've broken God's rules, and because of our sin and rebellion against God, we deserve God's judgment. We deserve to go to hell, the Bible says, because of our sin. I know that sounds really heavy, but it's the fact of the matter. We sometimes think that only bad people go to hell. The problem with that thought process is we're all bad people. We've all done things that we wish weren't true. We've all done things that we're ashamed of or embarrassed of. We all deserve God's judgment. And God doesn't grade on a scale. God doesn't grade on a curve. It's very black and white with God. Everyone is guilty and they deserve judgment. Judgment comes when someone or something dies. Uh, the Bible says in Romans chapter 6, verse number 23, for the wages of sin is death. Because I've sinned against God, because you've sinned against God, we deserve death, and not just to die one day, but to be separated from God in a place called hell. I've sinned and you have sinned. Our judgment for that is death and hell. But God loves you too much to allow you to go to hell unloved and to go to hell unforgiven. So God's made a way for you to be forgiven. God's made a way for you to connect with him again. God has made a way for you to spend eternity not separated from him in hell, but with him forever in heaven. And that way is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only way you could ever make it to heaven. And it's not a matter of being a better person. It's not a matter of doing more things. It's not a matter of joining a church or being really religious. It's a matter of having your sins forgiven by Jesus and Jesus alone. Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sin and pay for my sin. It's the only payment that could possibly be made. If you try to pay for it on your own, you'll spend eternity in hell. But you must make a decision on your own. You must choose to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You must make a decision to, to ask God for the forgiveness of your sins and for a home in heaven. And the Bible promises, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You've broken God's law. You deserve to go to hell. Jesus made a way for you to be forgiven and go to heaven. You must accept Jesus. That's the simplicity of the gospel. Uh, it's very, very simple. And Paul says, uh, these folks that are taking the simplicity of the gospel, they're confusing people. They're taking the message and they're making it something that it is not. When we take a look at this passage of scripture, we see first of all in verses one and two, it's a pastor's responsibility to protect the church from false teachers. Paul says in verse number two, for I'm jealous over you with a godly jealousy, for I've espoused you to one husband. In other words, the church is the bride of Christ. And he says, and we have one husband whom we're waiting for, and that is Jesus. And he says, I've set you up as the bride of Christ to have one husband. He says that I might present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. And so Paul says, I've tried to protect this church. I've tried to protect you as Christians to keep you in such a way that you would live your life, that you would be a holy, separate, unspotted bride to Jesus Christ himself. And it's the heart of any pastor to protect 
the people that God's given him oversight over. Uh, I take being the pastor of this church very, very seriously. It's not a flippant thing that I do. It's not something that I wanted to do because I couldn't figure out what else I wanted to do with my life. Uh, it's, it's a calling that God places on your life that there's nothing else that you really could do. Uh, if I had to deliver pizzas, I guess I would if I had to make, pay the bills. But really, the thing that God's called me to uh, is pastoring this church. And it's my responsibility to look out for each and every one of you individually Pastors should have a godly jealousy. Paul says, for I'm jealous over you with a godly jealousy. When he sees people going the wrong way, he uh, wishes that they would lay down uh, the, the wrong direction that they're going and come back to Christ. Probably one of the hardest things to watch as a pastor is to watch people walk away from their relationship with Jesus. Hardest thing in the world. Because you know where that path leads. You know where all of this ends. And it's always destruction. The, the Bible says there seem, there's a way that seems right into a man, but the end thereof are the ways of destruction. Well, pastor, I just wanna do my own thing. I just wanna go my own way. I know how this story ends and it does not end well. Uh, my wife and I, we're just gonna split up for a little while while we get a little bit of me time to ourselves and then we're gonna come back together one day uh, and, and we'll have everything sorted out. That's not the way that God designed things to work. God has a plan and when we go against God's plan, it's never good. And so as a pastor, when I see that, I'm automatically overcome with a godly jealousy. I desire for you to do things the right way, to follow after God's plan for things. When people say, oh, I'm reading this, uh, this book by XYZ author, uh, and I know that it's not a solidly biblical uh, book, I would say to that person, hey, I wouldn't read that book if I were you, or I'd read it with extreme caution because that person is a known false teacher. It's my job to do that. Uh, we took a look at last Sunday, why every Christian needs a pastor last Sunday morning. And the job of the pastor is to be a shepherd, to protect the flock, to feed the flock, to guide the flock, to give wisdom, direction, oversight. Uh, it's, it's not my job to run your life. It's not my job to sign off on every decision that you need to make in your life, but it is my responsibility as a pastor of this church to guide you into spiritual fruitfulness. You see, a true pastor desires the spiritual best for every person. My, my desire for you, Paul's heart for the church at Corinth, is that they would do their best. Not that they would, uh, uh, again, meet up to some standard that someone else had for them or, or fall into some criteria that someone else would set up, but that they would do their best for Jesus, each and every one of them individually. Uh, this is why we need pastors. This is why every single person in this room, and this guy included, needs a pastor that would lead us and guide us and help us to find our spiritual best. That's the heart of a pastor. And Paul says, I, I'm, I'm worried about you. I have a job for you, but it's not a, a, a carnal jealousy. It's a godly jealousy. I desire that you would be fully committed to, to Jesus Christ. Uh, I desire that you'd be fully committed to walking with God every single day. That's why there's a difference between a preacher and a pastor. A preacher is one who just gets up and preaches and goes home. Uh, a preacher is a person who gets up and says what they need to say and go, goes on with their life. Uh, I'm not a preacher, I'm a pastor. I'm not even really a good preacher. Uh, I just try to tell people what the Bible says. But I, I want to be a good pastor. I want to look out for people. I want to guide people and direct them the way that God uh, has called me to do. Every church needs a godly pastor who's willing to say difficult things, say hard things, and call out something as wrong when he sees it. That's what Paul did for the church at Corinth. If you take a look at this letter, some of the things he said were pretty harsh. This letter here uh, is actually a little bit of a medium tone compared to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians was really harsh. But Paul was able to communicate that way with them because they knew that Paul loved him. Because Paul had demonstrated time and time again, it wasn't about what he could get from the church at Corinth, it was about what he could give to the church at Corinth. 
Secondly, we see in this passage of Scripture that God desires a pure and holy relationship with His people. If you take a look at verse number two, he says this, that I've espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. He said, my whole goal is that you would be a picture of a beautiful wife on her wedding night that has saved herself for her husband. That's my goal for you as the church. Not that you would be, uh, when it comes time for the wedding, that the, the church is in bed with the world, that the church has, has committed some sexual sin that, that would cause them to be unfit to marry a groom like Jesus Christ. He said, my, my goal for you is that you would be pure and holy. This means you and I individually must hate sin. It's a very unpopular thing to say these days, but we, it's just where we're at. I, I saw um, a guy, I'll call him a so-called pastor, who once said, I don't like to use the word sin because it makes people feel uncomfortable. Okay, first of all, don't call yourself a pastor because you cannot lead, guide, and direct a flock of people if you never talk about the word sin. You just can't do it. Secondly, uh, let's not be ashamed of using words that the Bible uses. Uh, Words that Jesus himself used, I think, are pretty much uh, uh, within the boundaries of what's acceptable. Uh, And we must talk about sin. But God wants us each to be disgusted with our own sinfulness. God wants us each to look deep into our hearts, and some of us don't have to look very deep, to find the sin that lies within us and rip it out so that we can live a holy life. But you see, it's not just talking about individual holiness. It's talking about corporate holiness. It's talking about us as a church being a holy group of people. Uh, for, For me as a pastor, one of my responsibilities is to make sure that our church stays holy. If I know of any sin that's going on in our church, I'll directly hit it head on. There's been times in the past where I've had to do that as a pastor, confront sin, uh, because we cannot allow sin into our church. Uh, The Bible uh, sometimes uses a picture of leaven and bread as the uh, opportunity uh, of sin to be in our lives. Have you ever cooked bread from scratch before and used leaven? Uh, The first time I did, I I cooked with with leaven and uh, and made my homemade bread one time. I like got a big, huge, like uh, cup full of it, wanted to dump it in there. You can't do that. It only takes a little bit uh, to do that. It only takes a little bit of uh, yeast to cause the bread to rise. The Bible says it sins the same way. It only takes a little bit of that to leaven the entire lump, the Bible says. We must have a zero tolerance policy when it comes to sin in our church as well. But Paul likens our relationship with Jesus as a church here to the, the, being the bride of Christ. Uh, he likens it to a marriage. Uh, keep your finger here in, for, in 2 Corinthians 11. We're gonna come back in a sec, but flip back to Deuteronomy chapter 31 if you would. Deuteronomy 31, God is giving his final instructions uh, to Moses in this case here. Deuteronomy 31, verse number 16. Deuteronomy 31, 16. It said to Moses, behold, thou shalt sleep with thy fathers. Moses, you're getting ready to die and you'll be buried with the men who've gone before you. And this people will rise up and go a whoring after gods of the strangers of the land, whither they go to be among them and will forsake me and break my covenant, which I've made with them. I don't know about you, but when I was new to the Bible and reading through the Bible, uh, I came to phrases like that, and I thought, that's a really harsh phrase for God to use, uh, to go a-whoring after other gods. That's kind of heavy. 
That's how serious it is to God when we place other things above him. That's how serious God is about idolatry. That's how serious God is of the idea of entertaining false gods. You've broken your covenant with me. You've gone against the promise that we've made together that I would be your God and you would be my people. You've gone against actually being my children. You've gone against being my bride that I have for my son Jesus. And you've gone and made yourself a whore with the other gods of this world. That's heavy, heavy language. But that's exactly how God feels when we place other things ahead of him. So God says, check your heart with this. Make sure that you're right with me. Make sure you're like a bride, a virgin bride waiting for her groom on her wedding night. Make sure that your, your, your life is holy and pure to that degree because anything other than that, God counts as whoredom. And that's heavy stuff, I know, but it's in the Bible. Flip back, if you would, to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter number 11. So it's the pastor's responsibility to protect the church from false teachers. It's my uh, job to be on the lookout for people who would say uh, things that are contrary to the gospel, uh, contrary to the Bible. It's my job to warn you if you're listening to a uh, preacher or teacher on TV that doesn't line up with scripture. If I see some uh, great uh, devotional book that you picked up at Costco and what a blessing it is to you, it's my responsibility if it's not biblically sound to tell you, hey, I'd be cautious with that because it's not biblically sound. But here's the thing, at the end of the day, I can't police everything you read. I can't police everything that you listen to. I can't do everything that I uh, can do uh, to keep you from false teachers. So that just to, uh, thirdly in this passage here, it's a Christian's responsibility to be biblically literate and recognize false teachers. Take a look at verse number three, but I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. He said, just like Eve got tricked by the serpent, I'm afraid you're gonna get tricked too. Now, Eve began to question what God had really said. Uh, she began to question whether or not God was really good. She began to give her ear to the serpent, which was the devil who began to tell her, hey, eat of the fruit. You're not gonna die. God just doesn't want you to be another God like him. Go ahead and do it. And she gave ear to that. And he says, I'm worried that you're gonna give ear to these false teachers too and that you will be uh, uh, tricked by them, that you'll be duped by these guys. And so he says, I'm concerned with that. And so really that leaves the burden of responsibility with every individual Christian to make sure that we know the Bible so that we can recognize a false teacher. They often, uh, when working with bank tellers, will have them to, uh, to, they'll run some counterfeit bills through there to see if they can detect the difference. And it's not so much what the bills look like, it's what they feel like. They're used to using the, the, the real thing day in, day out and seeing what money feels like. That when a funny bill comes through, not necessarily what it looks like, but how it feels because they're used to the authentic, real thing. You and I must be so in tune with authentic Christianity, authentic biblical doctrine, that when we run across something that's funny, you're like, ah, I don't know if I agree with that or not. That doesn't pass the test. Uh, show me that in the Bible. Find me, give me some, some feedback on where I can get uh, more information on that. There was a, uh, 
an absolute 100% huckster uh, named Jesse DePlantis who said earlier this year that he needed to buy himself a jet. I forget what it was, $27 million or something like that uh, for a new Gulfstream jet because when he got higher in the air, he was closer to the Lord and the Lord could hear his prayers better. The worst part about it, people gave money so that he could spend time with the Lord. Anybody who knows anything about the Bible says that's probably one of the dumbest things I've ever heard in my entire life. Unfortunately, people who uh, believe in stuff like that bought into it and gave money towards that. One of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard in my entire life. Uh, Another, uh, one of his friends uh, had said he likes to to fly on a private jet because it gives him time to study and be with the Lord. Doesn't that sound really spiritual? You you look at that and you say, it's foolishness. (laughs) Same guy says he doesn't like to fly commercial because the planes are filled with demons, is what he said. Now, I've had some crying babies on me on planes before uh, that I might classify as demons. Uh, But again, we look at that and you say, would anybody really believe this? Unfortunately, people believe it all the time. All the time. Why? Because they have no biblical discernment. That's why you and I must become students of the word. We must know the Bible. We cannot take someone else's word for what we're supposed to believe. We must go back to the word. Uh, This morning, we took a look at why every Christian needs discipleship, uh, why we need to know the word. One of the reasons why is because it protects us against false teachers. The more that I know the word, the more that I will be able to recognize what is false. And let me just tell you, there's a lot of false stuff out there. There's a lot of false teaching, even in our own city. Uh, The internet is completely and totally full of a lot of false teachers. The majority of the stuff in the Christian bookstore is full of doctrinal error, How do we know the difference? How do we know what's good and what's not? You can't take a picture of every book you want to buy in the Christian bookstore and send it to me. Uh, I'll I'll try for a little bit, but I'm going to get exhausted. At some point, you have to be biblically literate enough for yourself to say, hey, this doesn't pass the test of biblical orthodoxy. This doesn't line up with Scripture. And if you're not there yet, I want to encourage you to get there. Our church makes it very, very easy for you to learn the Word uh, we have our, our discipleship, which starts on October the 10th. It's a, a 14-week program where you sit down with another person and study through the Bible together. And at the end of that program, you have the opportunity to teach another person uh, what you have to, what you've learned from the Bible. And it's one of the easiest ways, easiest on-ramps to become more settled in your faith, more deeply rooted in your faith. And it gives you a relationship with another person that you can run things past and talk through things with. Every Christian should go through some form of discipleship in one way or another because one of the the main reasons is it protects us against false teachers as well. And Paul says we shouldn't have anything to do with them. That leads us to, to fourthly in this passage. We must reject false teachers. Verse number four, he says, for as he that cometh preacheth another Jesus. And let me just pause here for a second and say, that there are multiple Jesuses even in the world that we live in today. Just because somebody says Jesus does not make them the same Jesus that we worship. For example, uh, false religion says that Jesus is the half-brother of Satan. You might have a dude named Jesus that's a half-brother of Satan, but it's not my Jesus. He's the only begotten son of God. Other religions, the uh, uh, Mormon religion says that Jesus was just a regular dude who one day became a God and is now a God over a universe. That might be your Jesus, but it's not the Jesus of the Bible. Jesus of the, the Bible was the pre-eternal son of God. That means he's been around for eternity past, eternity future. There's only one Jesus, according to the Bible. But, but even in Paul's day, there were 
other Jesuses that came along, people preaching on other messiahs. He says, for if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus whom, you have, whom we have not preached, or if you receive another spirit which ye have not received, or another gospel which we, ye have not accepted, ye might bear with him. Verse number four says, you're, you're actually gonna hear these people out. Paul's actually chastising them. Other people are coming preaching another Jesus and you're sitting here going, oh, let's hear what this guy has to say. Oh, let's, let's share with us about this new Jesus that you found. Share with us this new gospel that you found. Share with us this new spirit that you've heard of. And Paul challenges him in verse number one. He says, guys, hear me out. Would you at least listen to what I have to say? Verse number one, he says. But they were too busy giving their ear in verse number four to these false teachers. He says, you've given them the opportunity to speak and they should have no opportunity to speak. You've given them the opportunity to share, but they should have no grounds to be able to share a false gospel, a false Jesus, a false spirit, a false message. We must reject them outright. We must reject false teachers regardless of their following. One of the greatest false teachers of our day is Joel Osteen. There, I just said it. Uh, the dude packs out what used to be the Compact Center in Houston. It's, it's a basketball arena that seats about 16,000 people. He packs it out. And you say, how can somebody teaching a false gospel really pack out a place like that? Uh, he does it every single week. Does that mean that he has God's anointing on his life? No, because here's what he said on national television. There might be another way to heaven. He's not really sure. If people reject Jesus as the Christ, he's not sure where they'll spend eternity. Jews that deny that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, he's really not sure where they go because he doesn't know a lot about Jews. He's just a guy who tries to tell people about how to find hope. Hey, look, there's no hope in the gospel that he peddles because he won't talk about sin. He won't talk about repentance. He won't talk about heaven. He won't talk about hell. He talks about how to have your best life now. Let me just tell you, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you've not been saved and born again, this is your best life now because it only gets worse in eternity for you if you're not following Jesus. But hey, look, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a child of God. And this life that I have right now, it only gets better from here. This is like as bad as it gets for me because when I die, I'm in the presence of Jesus for all of eternity. And that will be my best life by far. But you have hucksters and shysters who peddle a false gospel and people eat it up. One of the best-selling authors of Christian authors of all time, Joel Osteen, false teacher through and through. You have, uh, again, we could go on and talk about false teachers tonight if we wanted to, but I want you to be discerning enough that when somebody says they're not sure what happens to people when they die without Jesus, that person's not a pastor. That person doesn't even know the Bible. Revelation chapter 20, verse number 15 says it this way, and those whose names were not found written in the Lamb's book of life were cast in the lake of fire for all of eternity. This is the second death. If you die without Jesus, you will go to hell. Revelation chapter 20, verse number 15 says it clear as day. Don't say you don't know. So it doesn't matter how big these people's following it is. It doesn't matter how big of an auditorium or stadium they can pack out. Another gross, gross false teacher of our day is Benny Hinn. Benny Hinn uh, preached at one of the, uh, the churches over in uh, Hawaii Kai last year for a week-long revival, packed the place out every single night. And what does that mean? That means absolutely zip as far as his doctrinal teaching. And let me just tell you this, healing in the Bible was always 100% verifiable and it was 100% instant every single time. And it was always coupled with a gospel message. 
You need to write that down and think about that later. That's some good stuff for you right there, right? But it doesn't matter how big of a following false teachers have. We're going to reject them outright. It doesn't matter, uh, regardless of their speaking ability. Uh, Paul even says in verse number six, though I be rude in speech. In other words, I'm not a polished speaker. He says, but I'm not unpolished in my knowledge, verse number six says. But we have been thoroughly made manifest among you in all things. Paul says, you know me. You know I'm not a polished speaker. Uh, I just kind of tell it like it is. It's interesting, even as you read through the, uh, the Greek writings of Paul and uh, somebody like, say, for example, Luke. Luke was a medical doctor. Uh, he used phraseology and words that Paul would never use. Uh, Paul used some, some very uh, different types of terminology because he was just a regular dude. And he says, even my speech wasn't that great. I'm not a really polished speaker, but I'm telling you the truth. He says, I might not know uh, how to captivate a crowd with my speaking ability, but I know the truth of the word of God. He says, I might be rude in my speech, but not in my knowledge, and I know what the Bible says. I know what God has said. We must reject false teachers regardless of our feelings. This one's a hard one. Because many times false teachers say things that you and I really, really want to hear. They say things that bring us temporal comfort. For example, they'll say things like, uh, you know, if, if you're not seeing breakthrough in your life, you just need more faith. And you think to yourself, yeah, I need more faith. If you're not seeing victory in your life, you need to, to just double down and work harder, do more. And if you're not seeing God break through in miraculous ways, it's probably your fault. You need to step back and analyze, are you really committed to God the way that you should be? And most of us are self-deprecating enough that we'd say, yeah, I need to do better. Yeah, I do need more faith. Yeah, I am holding back God breaking through in my life. Yeah, I am. And we identify with that and our feelings get mixed up with that. But we find that Paul had a thorn in the flesh and he asked God three separate times to take it away from him. And God says, no, I'm not because my grace is good enough for you. It's sufficient to carry you through. You don't need the thorn gone, you need me. But that's hard. It's hard to come to a place in your life where you're not seeing what you want to see and just to hear that God says, hey, I'm enough to get you through this. But false teachers many times say the things we want to hear. I heard of a, a, a man who, in our church who was going to a, a false teaching church up the street from us and they said, uh, you know, I'm, I go by the, uh, the Porsche dealership every week and I sit in the, the driver's seat of a Porsche and I claim that God's going to give me that car. And as a child of God, I'm making that declaration before God that God has to give that to me. And so I know that God will because he says in his word uh, that he is bound to us. That sounds very, very appealing to me. I don't know about you. But just sit down in a car and say that God has to give it to you. Great idea. Let me just tell you, God doesn't work that way. God is not an idle giver. God doesn't give you something to replace himself. He never does that. And while those things conjure up good feelings in us of wanting the things that we want, it doesn't hold water. False teachers say things like, if you're sick, you just need to declare that you are already healed. I've known false teachers to go so far as to say that uh, cancer patients should refuse cancer treatment and just simply declare that they're healed already. I would never in a million years as a pastor encourage someone to go against medical advice of trained medical doctors that God had put in their path to try to show off something. But many times people say, yeah, I don't, I don't like the way that chemotherapy makes me feel, so I'm just gonna declare that I'm healed. That makes me feel better about myself. What does the word say? 
James says, if anybody's sick, call the elders of the church together and anoint them with oil and pray for them. It's interesting, the anointing oil that was used in biblical times was seen as a, a medical uh, type of medicine. It was a medical treatment. In other words, uh, call the, the, the pastors of the church together, take your medicine and have them pray over you is what it said. It's not the point of tonight's message. The idea is this, I can't allow myself to be governed by my feelings because my feelings will lead me astray. Final thought here tonight, we must accept Bible teachers or reject Bible teachers based on the word and the testimony of their faithfulness. I also want to pause here for a second and say this. Our church is not the only church in town with the truth. Baptist churches aren't the only people in, uh, in the world that have the corner of the market on what is true and what is false. But I will say this. I want to be very clear when I say this. Bible-believing Christians have the corner on the market when it comes to truth. Bible-believing Christians. You start adding anything to this book, you've gone astray every single time. But as long as what you say can be filtered through the Bible, I'm for you. As long as what you say lines up with Scripture, you got a thumbs up from this guy right here. The second that you depart from this, and begin to talk about your own things, your own ideas, or some vision that God gave you uh, when you were up on a mountaintop one time or some dream that you had uh, two weeks ago or some way that you were brushing your teeth and God spoke to you audibly from the shower. I got no time for that. And we laugh. Things like that sound kind of funny, right? No, it's happened. It happens. There's a guy at a large church in uh, Florida this past year. that on Easter Sunday. Mind you, uh, this church had, had presented itself as a non-denominational Christian church. And for the most part, I never listened to the pastor, but from everything I could read from their statement of faith on their website, they were fairly solid. Fairly solid, I would say. Gets up on an Easter weekend. Mind you, the one weekend that many hundreds of guests would come to a, a church that size, looking for hope, looking for truth, looking for a message of new beginnings and uh, resurrection and things like that. And instead of preaching the Bible, this pastor sat down and told the congregation how he had a vision of Jesus that past week. And here's what Jesus said, and me and Jesus talked for like two hours and asked him all these questions about life and stuff like that, and here's what Jesus told me. And I thought to myself, shame on, first of all, that guy that would call himself a pastor and would elevate his experience on the same level as Scripture. Shame on him for that. Secondly, shame on the church that was not biblically literate enough to either not cut his mic off and kick him out the front door or to stand up and go find another church. Hey, look, this guy ever tells you to put away your Bibles because I got a vision from God this past week? You have my permission to get the four strongest dudes in this entire church and carry me out to the sidewalk and leave me out there. You got our permission to do that. Because when we depart from the word of God, we have nothing left to offer. The Bible says that the church is the pillar and the ground of truth and we don't compromise the truth. And so Paul says here, don't listen to false teachers. It doesn't matter if they have a bigger uh, following than I do. It doesn't matter that they're better speakers than I am. It doesn't matter how you feel about what they say. Let truth guide you. And when I say truth, it's a capital T truth as found in the Bible, the word of God. That's where we find truth. So what does this mean for you and I? Run everything through the filter of the word of God, everything. One last scripture we'll take a look at. Turn a few pages back in your Bible to Acts chapter number 17. 
Acts chapter 17, verse number 10. Acts 17, 10, Paul and Silas go to a city called Berea and the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. So as soon as they got to Berea, they went in to the synagogue and talked to the Jews. Now mind you, mind you, the synagogue was not like church like where we go today. Synagogue was a gathering of Jews, the majority of which were not saved, that did not follow Jesus, that were actually opposed to Jesus. And so they went into this synagogue at Berea and they preached about Jesus. And verse number 11 says, they were more noble than those in Thessalonica and they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. What does that mean? They said, hey, Paul, that was a good word, man. Can you show me where that's at in the Bible? I really wanna go home and, and, and think about that and put some thought into that. They received the word. Man, I love hearing God's word explained and preached, but I need you to show me where that's at in the Bible so I can go home and read that for myself. And what happens when somebody came and they said, oh, I got this word from God. It's not really in scripture anywhere. I just got a word from God. They're like, no, no, no. Show me where it's at in the Bible or I don't want to hear it. And they were more noble than the church at Thessalonica. You know why? Because they had such a high regard for scripture. And for you and I, the litmus test of any teacher, true or false, will always be the Bible, the Word of God. Every single week that you come here, we're gonna open the Bible, we're gonna talk about what the Bible says, and I'll be able to show you what God says, not from a vision that I had or some, uh, some guy who lived a long time ago, but from the Word of God itself. So, I would challenge you to do this. If you do any extra biblical reading, which I highly recommend that you do, uh, in our bookstore we have uh, some good Christian books uh, that would be helpful for you. But oftentimes people will go by the Christian bookstore, go to Barnes and Noble and go to the second section that says Christian and they'll begin to pick up books and things like that. Always run those things through the scriptures every single time. <laughs> one time, uh, I'll confess my sin before you tonight. Uh, one time I did go to a Barnes and Noble, not here on this island, but at another place. And uh, there's a section called Christianity and it was filled with all false gospel preaching books. Every single one of them. There was not a single solid book in there that I recommend in the entire section. And so I walked over to the fiction section. I grabbed a heading that said fiction and I stuck it on the, over the sign that said Christian. So the heading on the shelf actually said fiction on it. But I, I've repented to the Lord for that and I confess my sin for you tonight. I just want people to know what they're getting into, right? Just want you to know what you're getting into before you get into it. With all seriousness though, make sure that the Bible has the final word. I don't, and, and know this, even myself, I love to hear preaching and there's been many uh, preachers over the years that I've had to turn off because they departed from truth. Man, they were really solid 10 years ago. They were saying some really great stuff that challenged my heart and helped me in my walk with God. But there came a point where they began to depart from truth. And at what point that is, I got a zero tolerance policy for that and you should too. So I challenge you to be a discerning Christian. If you don't know the Bible, learn the Bible. If you've never gone through discipleship, be discipled. If you're not strong in your faith, become strong in your faith not only to protect you against false teachers, but also so that you can train and help other people as well.